This episode of Talking Smack contains spoilers for Hocus Pocus 2 and Werewolf by Night. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. I'm your host, Josh Scar, and joining me this week is Alex. Alex, how you been? Doing pretty good. Uh, it is I, this time, who get to be exciting and record from a hotel room. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a weird rush when you don't know what the heck's going to happen with your internet connection at oh, a hotel. Yeah. I mean, technically, we run the same risk at home, but we're not sharing internet with potentially hundreds of other people. Yeah, thankfully, it's a Sunday night. Uh, barely anybody in the parking lot, and I have a Sprecher's Orange Dream Craft Soda, so I'm good. Mm. All right. Well, I just got my my water from my Captain Marvel mug, but, you know, teach their own. So we're going to take a quick ad break and hear from our friends Jay and Kay at the Fuck My Work Life podcast. And when we come back, we're going to talk Hocus Pocus 2 uh alex has a alex or no lasden lashes segment that we will get into about the super mario brothers movie and we're also going to talk about werewolf by night and we're going to call it a day so we will be right back after these messages from j and k have you ever had a bad day at work well, the Fuck My Work Life podcast is perfect for you. Host J and K share listeners' entertaining stories from the workplace, which may have you thinking you don't have it so bad after all. Find Fuck My Work Life on your favorite podcast platform. This is Leo Allen from Voluntary Input, and you're listening to Josh Scar and Friends on Talking Smack. Now let's get back to the show. And we are back. So when I put out a big Twitter post about how this episode was getting delayed because my life was kind of, it was, I wouldn't say it's circling the drain. That's where my brain's going because I'm exhausted. Uh, but life was just hectic and crazy and pulling me in 17 different directions, which is why I ended up releasing that big Oscar thank you episode instead of an actual episode, which I intended to do that anyway this week, since it is technically our one week of, or one year anniversary this week, not last week, but it is what it is. I did what I did, but I'm kind of grateful because with the delay, we were able to watch Werewolf by Night. We got the Mario trailer because I don't think we would have gotten a full 30, 40 minute episode out of Hocus Pocus 2 on its no. own. No, not at all. Yeah, so it is a good thing. I mean, I'm enjoying watching you circle the drain and it's an exciting thing. Um, <laughs> I, didn't say I, I, was, I said it. <laughs> that's the bad. That's the bad way of phrasing it. I said that's what I said. <laughs> Oh, my, I'm just extremely exhausted and uh, there's a sickness going around my house. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. I can feel it just very tired and just getting over some sickness. And it wasn't COVID just so everyone's aware. I did listen to the thank you podcast. Uh, I am a little offended. At no point did you ever thank God um, and your agent. <laughs> <laughs> You're just missing those two and you could have had a perfect sports and um Oscar, thank you moment. Well, I act as my own agent, as anyone who has booked me for one of their podcasts can tell you. 
but uh well, thinking god uh is a bit blase in my opinion um <laughs> it's okay it's I, within... I watched the i watched the video and you pointed to heaven like twice <laughs> oh i forgot i had that on the shared drive yep the wakanda forever a couple times too <laughs> So we're just stalling because uh, talking about Hocus Pocus 2, honestly, it's not painful. I'm going to go straight ahead and give my rating here with the uh, the talking smack scale of must see or pass. I'm going to say if you're over the age of like 32, it's a must see just because it's fun seeing Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy Najme back in these roles as the Sandersons. But if you're under the age of 32, this is a pass. You don't need to see it. This is basically just a really high end maybe not even high-end Disney Channel original movie. I'm going to have to agree with you on that. If you're over the age of 30, yeah, you need to see this. You're obligated to. You have to sit that butt down on that couch and enjoy this 95 minutes or so. If you're under the age of 30 and being held captive by maybe like a parent or some kind of babysitter, I do apologize that you have that they're making you watch this instead of the original well, don't forget also this movie, not the not the original, but this movie brings hell hell into your home. So oh, yeah. No, there, I, there's um, that, too. It, it's cursed. Yeah, I watched this and the new Hellraiser back to back. And I got to say, that's why I'm in a hotel right now. My house burned <laughs> down and a creepy I'm, little blonde girl showed up in front of your TV and went there here. Yeah. And I, I I've been on the run ever since. Um, thankfully, I'm behind like four proxies. Otherwise, the FBI would be here, too, because the amount of insanity from just watching this movie and um you know the ouija board came to life i didn't even realize i had one but it spun in front of me <laughs> that comes with watching hocus pocus too it just ends up in your house yeah it's bizarre damnedest thing <laughs> it's not a bad sequel it's not it just it the budget isn't there and the ending really to me it does not feel earned I, I didn't mind the extended prelude with like the backstory of how the Sanderson's got the book. I feel like the foreshadowing could have been a little heavier with what happened with uh, Hannah Waddingham's witch's coven. But uh, I mean, it, it, you ring the bell once you kind of realize where it's going. But I, I feel like Winifred and her turn the minute that uh, the events happen, which I, I guess I'll add a spoiler or if you want to do a spoiler, we'll do a spoiler warning here at the front. Once uh, Sarah and Mary disappear, they get endgamed because that's Disney's new favorite trick. Once they disappear and Winnie wants to be with her sisters or bring them back however she wants, the tone shifts and we never really get that like camaraderie. The movie tells us a few times that like a witch's coven is the most important thing. It's the most important thing to their power. It's the most important thing to whatever they're doing. But the relationship is never there. It, it To me, it always felt like Winnie used them to get power. And then once she had the power, the the more cohesive thing to happen would be that she's like, they're gone and I can have all the power. Hooray. And then you kind of have to defeat the big bad. But that doesn't happen. She gets really like, oh, no, my sisters are gone. Please bring them back. And then it becomes more you have to die in order for you to be back with them. And I felt like that was really unearned. Yeah, the, the ending was super pivot, just a hard pivot kind of, well, we're, we're ending this. 
I think that has to do with part of the script. Um, like I really enjoyed the beginning part where it showed them all young and Winifred's there and taking care of everyone. It did kind of ruin a little bit of my head canon because I always assumed they weren't actually sisters. They were just kind of witch sisters. They just formed a coven together like in their 20s or something. But having them all actually sisters is like, okay, that's cute. And it was kind of cute seeing those three uh, those three actors taking on those mantles and doing the part. And I laughed so hard when um, Winifred is – the young Winifred is storming down the street. And this woman is leaving her house and gets, like, knocked sideways slightly. And she's like, well, enough for me today and immediately heads back <laughs> inside. Yes. Yeah, th- that that whole sequence yeah. was good. If they had it released really it as, good. like, a, a short film at the front of this, it would have been a really nice prelude. But I do feel like this yeah. goes on a little long in the beginning. Yeah, once it gets, gets to, like, how they formed their own kind of coven thing and the witch in telling them about the Maximus Decimus Leviticus spell, it was like, okay, all right. So this is not going to be a a recycle of okay we need to hunt down a child and blah 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 and suck out their soul because now this is a disney property so we can't go too dark but i mean it it was always a disney property but it's a a modern disney property and also a disney channel original movie i don't care what anyone says this was basically a disney channel original movie you can't go too dark with those right so basically it was it was cute but it was an it was an also run they recycled a lot of the same jokes, but there was some inspired parts. Like there were moments of that I had a great levity. The ongoing joke of Trask not being able to get the candy apple made me laugh really hard, just because it was just so just woe is him kind of thing. And but it was fine. That's the problem. Is that it was fine. Yeah, and like props to the young women who played the young Sandersons too. Um, Taylor Henderson. Nina Kitchen and Juju Journey Brenner. Um, they all played, they, they emulated their counterparts really well. And uh, I mean, obviously the standout is Taylor Henderson who gets to play a young Winifred and she does it really well. Um, but overall, yeah, this, this movie is fine at best. And uh, like everyone puts in good performances, but the overall aesthetic of the movie just, isn't there, but I will agree that there are bits that are fun, especially like the Roombas when they're trapped in the salt in the mayor's <laughs> yeah, house yeah, and the Roombas come that. and save them. Yeah. And they're like, they have a mind of their own. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, they've, they've fallen in love with, uh, with Mary as, uh, as her mm-hmm. room. So like, that was fun. Yeah. And there was also like, they're in briefly in Walgreens, which product placement and, uh, that went on a little long, but I really did love, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, when it turns out that they don't need, you know, they're being manipulated and they don't need to lure children in for their youth. They can just get it out of a, a bottle now. And she was like, oh, but that was like my one thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it's fine. Go watch the original. Mm-hmm. Yep. The original is significantly better. Plus you get that like great 90s fashion. Uh, but we'll we'll just end it there. And again, I'll add a spoiler warning at the front. So that way I don't have to worry about people being potentially mad at me for not doing the spoiler warning again because I'm bad at it. Uh, spoiler next warnings up... for Hocus Pocus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, Alex has uh, something to say about the Super Mario Brothers trailer. So we are going to move into our Lasden Lashes, which I still don't have like a whip sound effect or anything. So whoosh, whoosh. 
Okay, so the Super Mario Brothers trailer came out, and it looks good. That's not my problem. My problem is it's going to be about Chris Pratt. I do not have the internet hate boner that people have for him. I don't quite understand it either. It seems to have started around Infinity War where people began blaming the actor for the way the character was written, that this is all Star-Lord's fault, that Spider-Man's dead and all this stuff. And that really kind of started this whole thing. And then some, you know, whether or not his personal life is blah, 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 blah. I don't care. I don't care about that in that at all. What I do care about is the oversaturation of Chris Pratt. And the lead up to him being announced as Mario and people are like, well, why didn't you just hire the original actor? Because it's a, it's a big budget movie. They're hiring, they're not, not bringing anybody back. Having Hollywood um, hates voice actors. That's, that's my input here. Yeah. Basically that we had the actual tales voice actor for the Sonic movie was shocking, but you know what? They recast Sonic and they recast the echidna, whatever uh, with Idris Elba. So, you know what? And they recast Knuckles. And you know what? Jim Carrey was great as Robotnik. But we had been told by the director and the studio that they purposely chose Chris Pratt, that he was working on something, that he's bringing something special to the role. And we got three lines from him. And yes, I understand. It's just three lines. They're not said very loudly. We didn't hear, it's a me. But you know what? If you're going to defend your actor that much, and you're paying them the big bucks, and you say they're working on something special, something beautiful. It can't sound like Chris Pratt trying to hire or call down a taxi in New Jersey. You have to give us something better than three weekly red lines where I went, oh yeah, that's Chris Pratt. Like, I didn't even know Bowser was Jack Black until I'm like, I went back and looked looked it up saying, okay, if Chris Pratt's doing this crap thing, who do they hire for Bra- Oh, my God. I didn't hear Jack Black at all in that. So I need something. I have been listening to Mario literally since I was born because I was born the same year the NES came out and they released Mario. I have watched Bob Haskins do a pretty jo- good job at that. I have watched the Super Mario Brothers live-action TV show. That was rather horrible. Even as a child, I knew that. But you know what? Captain Lou gave me a good Mario voice. So if you're going to give me three lines, they should be actual good lines. And instead, we have, eh, this is about what we expected. Yeah, and I mean, this movie has an all-star cast, which one of them that surprised me was Kevin Michael Richardson, who is a well-known voice actor. Uh, Probably his most notable role is Dr. Hibbert in The Simpsons. Um, He took that role over in 2009. Um, But, I mean, you would also know him as Captain Gantu in Lilo and Stitch, Martian Manhunter in Young Justice, and maybe more recently, the Mahler twins in Invincible, which is the guy who just keeps cloning himself. Um, if oh, you've yeah. watched it, uh, but I, yeah, I, there's two casting choices in this that I really am kind of on the same boat with you. It's Chris Pratt and it's Charlie Day as Luigi. It, him as an actor, I'm kind of tired of him because he does seem to be falling into the character actor f- premise of, oh, I'm I'm just going to be me uh, in Jurassic World, and pretty much the same as in uh, Star Lord in the Marvel movies. The only difference is. Uh, this character has a, a little bit of a Southern accent and he doesn't care for music or he, music isn't a big deal to him. 
And this character, Star-Lord, has a southern accent, but he likes music a lot. So that's that's kind of it. But Charlie Day is Luigi. Like, Charlie Day is not a voice actor. He is Charlie Day. If you're casting Charlie Day, you're going to get Charlie Day as the voice of Luigi. And we get a little bit of that at the end of the trailer. So it's it's just one of those things that really just does not ring well with me. I really just do have a question of like these big budget movies, uh, because it's illumination who I have some issue with because their movies tend to be very of the moment. And there's never been a movie that I really want to go back and rewatch. Now I will occasionally rewatch, um, uh, the first, Minions movie, but not the Minions. What is it? The what is actually Despicable Me? Yeah, the first Despicable Me, because for the last ten years, however long that movie's been out, I have laughed hysterically at the little girl when she gets the big stuffed animals and screams, "It's, it's so, so fluffy!" That is just <laughs> it yes. gets me every time. But the the movies all blend together. The Minions all blend together. I don't care. Illumination has like some notable work in them, including the Despicable Me franchise. Uh, say what you will about the Minions. I mean, the fact that they have a cultural impact says something about the quality of them. But they, they almost immediately become dated because they try to use music, modern music, as a way to connect with the, the audience and their intended audience and, and like the parents of their intended audience. But it it makes the movies dated like one of the first things you hear in Shrek, if not the first thing you hear in Shrek is all star by smash mouth, all star by smash mouth is not jailhouse rock by Elvis. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's just not (laughs) the case. It's not timeless. And that's kind of the problem with a lot of these illumination movies is they, they did the, one of the more recent, how the Grinch stole Christmas, I think with Benedict Cumberbatch, which is fine, but it's again, not the same and it's not as good as the original. They also did the Lorax, which was fine, but dated as well. Like the the content within it is just not there, even though the message of the Lorax is timeless. So it, it's a weird blend, but none of these movies are instant classics. They're not Inside Out. They're not The Incredibles. They're not, it's not Big Hero 6. It's none of these. They don't do those kind of movies. They're just almost flash in the pan, but the flash doesn't fully disintegrate, essentially. I just, I do wonder... Like, what is their intention with this movie? Are they trying to wash out the taste of the 1993 movie? If so, there's kind of a cult following for that movie. It And the movie is so bizarrely weird that it is worth watching because it's just, it makes you look at it and go, how did we get this? Why did we get this? If they're trying to honor it, just keep the voice actors. I, I, I really do want to see these executives with their accountants going, all right, so we got Charlie Day, and we got Chris Pat, and we got Anya Joy Taylor. That adds X amount of dollars to the bottom line of this movie. I don't think these are people that have that kind of draw. That you know, you're yeah. like, oh, it's an animated movie. I'm definitely going to go see it because Daniel Day Lewis has a voice in a role in it. It's like, really? Is it the property? Is it the story? Do they think that okay, cool? If we add Chris Pratt to it. We can for sure get one of the adults to be with their kids at this movie. Is that what they're going for? Yeah, I I don't get that either because the same thing happened with the Paw Patrol movie when that was announced and the like all the names associated with it came out. Like Kim Kardashian has like two scenes, but who? What parent is going? I'm not seeing the Paw Patrol movie. Kim Kardashian's in it. Never mind. Get your Gucci bag, baby. We're going. Like. <laughs> 
Exactly. I, I I really do not understand the fad or the fascination with voice actors being just completely kept out of the Hollywood movie scene anymore. Like if you go back pre Aladdin, it's really rare that you got a triple A actor or an A list actor in an animated movie because it, there's no FaceTime in it. So what what's the point? You have John Travolta as Bolt in the Disney movie Bolt. I don't buy John Travolta as a puppy, among other things. It just doesn't work with a guy like John Travolta. There's no naivety to his voice. If you want that believability of a puppy who believes he's actually a superhero, but he's in a Truman Show situation, essentially. I I don't understand it. And at this point, I mean, it's a losing battle that you're fighting while we're fighting. I remember when the first Frozen came out, like I didn't even realize Kristen Bell was Anna and Kristen Bell was probably at least a B-list actor at that point after Veronica Mars and forgetting Sarah Marshall. I didn't even know she could sing. And then you had Adina Menzel, who's a a big Broadway star, but Adina Menzel is not an A-list actor. No. And she had like some Disney stuff with like Enchanted. But overall, yeah, she the cast of Frozen was a lot of unknowns. And look at how successful that was. Yeah, exactly. That's why I kind of like that Pixar seems to, for the most part, not to immediately go after all the A-list actors. But even then, it's still kind of touch and go with some of the casting choices they've made lately. If anything, I mean, no one went and saw Lightyear, which makes me wonder, did they not go see Lightyear because it wasn't? Crap, I forget his name now. Tim Allen? Tim Allen, yeah. Because there was like this backlash of like, why did you recast blah, 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 blah. What was not Tim Allen? It's not like Tim Allen's still an A-list actor. He was kind of an A-list actor with Home Improvement, but he wasn't, but he was a movie, he was a TV show actor when they cast him in that. So I don't know. It It's weird choices and it takes me more out of the movie than anything. Yeah. To me, Lightyear was a flop because they didn't properly let us know what Lightyear was supposed to be beforehand. And also it just, it didn't look like a nineties movie. It's supposed to be a 90s movie that is supposed to appeal to a, a kid in the 90s. That movie doesn't look fun. I still haven't even seen it. That was I think that was one of the quick hits that you dropped from your list. Yep. It, it, this whole situation is actually kind of making me miss Robin Williams because I could see Robin Williams performing this role really well. But I mean, Charles Martinet uh, Lewis will stand by this. He 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 used to be a GameStop store manager and they have their big convention in Vegas every year. And they had like a big 30 minute like workshop with Charles Martinet in a in an auditorium where he just spent 30 minutes talking in the Mario voice doing a performance. And uh, Matt, another one of our smack co-hosts, says that listening to it's a me Mario for thir- for 90 to 120 minutes would just be the worst, which I mean, people said that about Harley Quinn as well. And I don't think he's necessarily wrong hearing that accent in that pitch for 90 minutes. Just no, thank you. But if you can put range to it, then, yeah, you you can make it bearable and you can workshop it. So the fact that they just basically went to Charles Martin and said, hey, thanks for 35, 40 years of service. We don't need you. We'll give you some bit parts just to say you were a part of the movie. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yep. All right, lash over. We're getting, we're getting ranty. <laughs> <laughs> so the the last thing we're going to talk about today is the 
recently released Disney Plus Marvel special, Werewolf by Night, starring Gael Garcia Bernal and Laura Donnelly. Before we get into our thoughts, Antonio from the Cult Worthy podcast was kind enough to send in his thoughts. So we'll hear from him and we'll be right back. Hello, Talking Smackers. It's Antonio of the Cult Worthy Podcast here to give you my view of Marvel slash Disney's newest TV special, Werewolf by Night. A fun and exciting little horror action romp that doesn't overstay its welcome, but we'll get into that a little bit further. First of all, I think it should be noted that I am not a comic book guy, so I know nothing of these characters other than their simple existence. So I'll be approaching this through a more cinematic point of view than a comic relevance point of view. So first of all, let me say that it was actually quite refreshing to see Marvel slash Disney throw something so experimental and out of the norm into the mix. I have started and stopped many a Marvel slash Disney series and movie project due to the fact that it is just not for me. I'm not saying it was bad, it just wasn't entertaining for me. Now, this was more my language because it does call back to a lot of classic horror films from the Universal days, as well as more modern takes. Before I even start, I gotta say that despite this film being in black and white, I got a very strong vibe to the cabin in the woods dynamic of having some kind of secret society or organization that is aware of ancient and mystical creatures, as well as forming an organization of so-called death dealers to handle them. It's all done kind of 9 to 5-ish, and it really gave me callbacks to the cabin in the woods dynamic. Not that that's a bad thing. The film starts off really well, setting the mood with the black and white photography and slow-moving camera movements, and introducing us to the characters in a very concise way. However, I started getting a little bored once we start rolling into the second act as the energy slogs down. Now, this is where I'm a little bit split on the film. As I've seen reviews of people wishing it was longer, I'm of the mindset that I wish it was a tiny bit shorter. Because we are dealing with an economical time frame and an economy of storytelling, it feels like some characters, like Jack Russell, played by Gael Garcia Bernal, and Elsa Bloodstone, played by Laura Donnelly's characters, are fleshed out. Most other characters are just thrown in there to be monster fodder. The whole Hunger Games energy of Hunter be Hunted kind of wears thin, even though it only takes up about 10-15 minutes of actual screen time. Now, if there's one character dynamic I wish had more screen time dedicated to it, it's the relationship between Jack Russell and Man-Thing. We're given very little history of what their characters are, but I really enjoy the whole kind of George and Lenny of Mice and Men relationship they had. I just wish we would have seen a little bit more of it. Now, when it comes to the actual filmmaking skills of director Michael Giacchino, most notably known for his amazing work as a composer... I was actually impressed as he had a lot of great playbooks to use from the old monster movies as well as other Marvel and Disney projects. I was not disappointed by his work behind the camera at all and I absolutely loved the cinematography of the project. Now as for the performances, Garcia Bernal's performance is on point as always. I've always been impressed by the energy he brings to a project despite being a small framed actor. It really works well with the fact that he is actually a lycanthropic character as we find out later in the film. I was, however, a little bit bored by the performance of Laura Donnelly. It seems that there are some characters in here that give a deadpan performance. I'm not sure if that was intentional by the filmmaker to kind of compensate for the energy it brings later. It just seemed a little forced to me. Those performances and some pacing issues aside, I actually really did enjoy this Marvel Disney project. Like I said, I would have liked it to be a little bit shorter if it was going to be a feature length. They really should explore more of the character dynamics and not just rush us through the action scenes like they did in this particular format. All in all, I would say for a Marvel project, I'd give this a B plus. If I was to just grade this on a cinematic level, I'd give it a C minus. Not bad, not great, but I did have a good time. I might watch it again and have a second opinion. 
Thanks for letting me jump on and give you my two cents of this project. Please check out my shows on thecultworthy.com, and I will talk to you later. Alex, he's done it to us again. I know. I'm actually debating stepping out of any uh, recording where he gives <laughs> us a review. So Werewolf by Night, based on a Marvel comic, I honestly, I'm in the same boat as Antonio. This is a little out of my purview with Marvel. I know of certain things like Man-Thing shows up in this, and I know a little bit about Elsa Bloodstone and the Bloodstone gem, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but overall, like I, I know nothing about Jack Russell other than the fact that they decided to name him after a hound dog. Um, but we're going to talk mostly just about this property as a whole. Um, one of the things that Antonio brought up, which I, I he only had like four minutes to put this thing together. So I, I'm kind of shocked he didn't talk about this. But this this is, as he said, uh, a big love letter to the Universal Monsters era of filmmaking, which is why I think that this movie being around 50 minutes long prior to credits is just the right length because it's, that's around the time the length movies were back then. And I think it, the, the pacing maybe is a little off at times. This could have easily been whittled down to like 45, 42 minutes, I think. But overall, I think it is a, a pretty solid pace and a, a pretty solid runtime. And uh, one of the things that I, I messaged you about after I finished watching it the other night is I love that they added in just the tiniest little detail of the Q mark on the quote unquote film, which for anyone who doesn't know, the Q mark is back when theaters had projectionists, uh, they couldn't fit an entire movie on a reel. So projectionists would have to bounce back and forth between multiple projectors and line up the film so that when they see that Q mark, they can roll the other one and the movie would just kind of keep going on a continuous loop. And if they miss that Q, then the whole thing just goes to hell. But I, I really appreciated that just little touch that just really took me back to some some of my older movie favorites that those movies still have those cue marks burned into them. I really like that we started with a special presentation Marvel thing that was really cute. I like that the logo got slashed and film flipped to black and white. And the little, the little screams. We had like a Vincent Price style kind of narrator and the feeling of the black and white cinematography it the camera movements even seemed very deliberate so michael espresso did a good job with that <laughs> um i really dug the vibe that they went for the pacing was just a smidge off like there was just there's something just a little bit off that i couldn't quite place my finger on now i loved it and this is a must-see. But there's just something slightly off, and I can't figure out like why I'm not positive, why I didn't love it more than I did. I think for me, it's uh, I, I, I agree with you. It is a, a talking smack must-see. I love the twist that you're going into this movie with it's werewolf by night, so they're hunting a werewolf, and then it ends up being Man-Thing, which I thought was awesome, and he looked great. But I think the thing that is off about this movie is Laura Donnelly's character, Elsa Bloodstone. Hmm. She just doesn't quite fit the aesthetic. She almost feels kind of like the kid in Last Action Hero, where she just doesn't have a place in this movie, despite the movie being around him, based around him. 
because she she seems like she's acting in a completely different movie. Or okay, I, I can see that. There was a few just like I wish I understood this property because there's a few things that they reference that I'm not quite positive with because like they point at one person they're like 57 deaths and then I point to another person they're like 43 no sorry like 56 confirmed kills 43 confirmed kills and then when they get to Jack Russell they say 100 deaths and everyone goes ooh 100 deaths that's impressive 100 deaths of what and I was trying uh, I to, like, think it's supposed to be implied monsters because they're but, all supposed to be part of a monster hunting guild. Yeah, but they were saying like 56 confirmed, 56 confirmed kills. And then they said purposely pointed to him and said deaths. That's the part where I was like, huh? Hmm. I, I don't think I caught maybe I'm, that. Maybe I misheard it. But I really do love the, the Bloodstone or whatever the family, the family um, that is doing this. That they turned the patron father into a crank operated animatronic. <laughs> yes. I was like, that was per his wishes as well, which is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, wait, actually I did have a question we have to um, go back to. So how much of this movie did you see looking at it between your fingers? Cause they were over your eyes the entire time. Oh no, I, I was, this is, this was not a horror movie by any oh, okay. stretch of the imagination. It is TV 14. I was like, okay, maybe there'll be a jump scare, but there is nothing in this movie that is like, oh my gosh, this is going to traumatize me. But did you have all the lights on and the blinds open in the middle of the day when you're watching this? No, actually I watched this in bed, um, on my tablet, uh, like eight o'clock at night, which we're in fall now. So like, it's pretty dark. Oh, wow. I'm impressed. Bravo to you. Bravo. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, another thing I really dug about this is, is we got some action that wasn't shaky cam chopped up to hell like normal Marvel. They actually hung on. You got to actually feel like a beat or two of the action before the ludicrous blood spray. <laughs> People getting their arms lopped off and just blood spray all over the wall. Of course, it's in black and white, so it's just this like ooze that looks like. So we can do it. That's how they get past the M rating. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and the just... black and white doesn't hurt because then you can just be like, oh, it's black goo. Mm -hmm. I will say, since you brought up man thing, I am team Ted. <laughs> uh, Ted is a precious boy who must be defended at all costs because Ted is adorable. And that is a great character design. <laughs> yeah, for anyone who doesn't know Man-Thing, that is one Marvel character that I do know a little bit about. Uh, he's essentially Marvel's version of Swamp Thing. He's a doctor who uh, I believe he was testing like genetics or a mutation or something. And then he fell into a swamp and merged with a, a, an extraterrestrial, not an extraterrestrial, like a celestial being. And then he became Man-Thing. And he now like, he's the guard of uh, a, a cosmic gate of some kind. Uh, it's weird comic shit, but it's really cool. And I do feel like they translated the character really well. And like, you got that great early glimpse, like when they're in the black and white, his eyes flash white and they like change a little bit when, or they dim when he's not in attack mode. And then uh, when the movie moves into a color palette at the end, um, you, we see the, the red eyes and just like, they they worked it out so well because in the comics he, he it's just a red glow kind of like uh, what you would think of like Mothman and they added like those little black pupils just to to give him a little bit more of a human look 
and it just it worked so well and props to the marvel design team for translating that as well as they did yeah whatever team they had on like whatever team michael uh, americano put together was just <laughs> fantastic because I, the transformation scene where um jack russell gets tur- forcefully turned into the werewolf was beautifully done you got just a little bit of somewhat sketchy cgi and then the rest of the transformation is done by the audience watching him and there's lightning flashes and you see the the shadow of body contorting and stuff and then when they finally show what a werewolf looks like in the marvel universe it's like oh yeah that's 1930s uh wolfman okay cool cool <laughs> which yeah, is they, just they hide fantastic. it enough yeah they hide it enough that you're not like oh geez it's just the guy in a muscle suit with some hair on it yeah but it works still if you're just gonna like try to ape that aesthetic it it works beautifully there's a few times where it doesn't quite work like i think they should have been a little more dramatic with um he has some either tattoos or face paint that he has on that gets commented on at one point i don't think that quite worked in the black and white because when you're filming in black and white, you need to like overdo your color at your colorations. Um, famously, if you look up, I think it is it the Munsters or the Adams family that had the sixties black and white TV show. If you actually look at their actual set to make those colors pop in black and white to show the tonal differences, like the entire set is pastels and like deep pastels and purples. It's like, a, it's like a Muppet it threw up on the set. Because yeah, there's a you need that. There's a great behind the scenes image of uh, Nicolas Cage who's filming a, like a Nosferatu or something right now. It's going to be in black and white. And he's wearing just like this Kermit the Frog green trench coat and uh, just like the most outrageous makeup you've seen because they're filming it in black and white. So to translate it into a proper black and white film, the color palette needs to be different as yeah. if you were filming in color. Yeah, so this makes me think that the movie was probably filmed in color, and then they did a black, uh, black white filter over it when they put in post production, because there's a few moments where I'm like, this didn't quite work. Like the first time we really see Man Thing, I'm like, that's some shoddy CGA that probably looks better, that looks better in color. And then at the end, when the end, you the color palette, they bring back the color palette fully. And man, things there. And I'm like, this really works in color. So there's some moments where it doesn't quite hit. Speaking of which, the end real quick. Did you notice the pay phone on the log neck, like to the, on the left side of the screen at the end? Because, I like, don't think I did. There is because they're um, man thing and Jack Russell will escape from this, you know, basically battle to the death thing that happens for the bloodstone. And Jack Russell wakes up being tended to by man thing and this force clearing. And there's like a little lean to all put together with sticks and uh, man thing has like made him coffee and handed it to him. And there's like a, I think a guitar as well, but there's an old style payphone, like complete box. You put coins in just on top of the log on the left side. I'm like, <laughs> what is that connected pay- to? Why is there a payphone right there? <laughs> It was, it threw me off completely. I was just trying to figure out like, did they steal it? Did, do they have it connected, connected? Did they <laughs> run a wire? Like, why is there a payphone? 
But yeah, well, man, no. I, I got it wrong. Man thinks part of the nexus of reality. Uh, that's that he's a guardian of that. So maybe it's part of their communication chain, or maybe that's part of his phone tree. <laughs> Literally a phone tree. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I I don't know if there's much else really to talk about. Um, the the action in the movie was good. If you like those old Universal horror movies, this should be right up your alley. As Antonio said in his review, it's Marvel stuff is not necessarily his forte, but this was this is something that really really hit his sweet spot. So uh, it, it's something that I think should appeal to almost everyone. Yeah, it's it's just it's fun. It's a good palate cleanser to what we normally get from marvel this day which is choppy action going for the easiest lowest common denator joke and keep moving forward it's why i partially why i'm looking forward to black panther wakanda forever because i don't want that to be a jokey movie i don't want that to be a riff a minute kind of thing i want that to be a solemn serious exploration of grief and loss and war and werewolf by night kind of cleansed my palate of she hulk and the other stuff i've been watching to hopefully set up for something different something serious yeah uh hopefully i i think wakanda forever is definitely going to be a big gut punch uh because i I do think we are going to get some quippiness because that that is shuri's character is she's she's the smartest person in the room and she's going to make jokes at people's expense but it, it's also going to be just emotionally driven because of the loss of Chadwick Boseman and the loss of T'Challa within the universe uh so i i think it, it i have faith in Ryan Coogler for pulling off something so complex and i don't think that he would have produced the movie the way as quickly as they did if he wasn't satisfied with the script that he'd put out there so hopefully that's the case. And uh, I do agree that this is a nice little change of pace with the maybe it's a one off. Maybe it's something that eventually ties in because it ends up being popular. Uh, but either way, it's something that it's not overly jokey. It, it does take itself a little more seriously, but the the aesthetics are there to to have that comic book Marvel stuff in it as well. Definitely. So with that, we will wrap it up. This is going to be a short episode for us because as We've talked about Alex is in a hotel, so we don't want to tempt fate and have an episode go too long. (laughs) And also, I'm just very tired. I'm still recovering from being sick and being on the road and Alex has things to do. Uh, But before we go, I do want to say happy Indigenous Peoples Day. We are coming out a couple days after Indigenous Peoples Day. But, uh, you know, fuck Christopher Columbus and (laughs) happy Indigenous Peoples Day. Also, we're recording this on Leif Erikson Day, so... um, (laughs) To my buddy Chris out there, fucking Lee Ferrickson. <laughs> There's a backstory to that that only Chris is going to get if he actually listens to this episode, and I don't care. <laughs> so thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Josh underscore Scar. You can email. Uh, nope, sorry. I have a script, and I'm still screwing it up. You can follow me on Twitter at Josh underscore Scar. You can follow the podcast at Talking Smack Pod. Uh, and you can join our Discord where we have a lot of fun talking about all things superheroes, movies, animation, comics, Star Trek, Star Wars, sports even. Uh, there's some good stuff in there. And we have uh, the guys from the video game club joining us in there. 
And uh, we, we would love to have more people joining in on the conversation. So uh, the episode or the Discord invite is in the episode description. You can email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Thank you to Leo Allen from the Voluntary Input, Input Podcast for our musical themes. Thank you, Antonio, for your just always amazing reviews that make us look terrible. And please like, subscribe, review. Um, there is one update that uh, we're going to start putting these episodes up on YouTube soon as well. I have someone who can uh, create some nice little graphics and uh, they're in, interested in working on video editing. So they're going to kind of try to make these episodes into a little bit of a, a presentation as well. So those will be going up on our YouTube channel. Please like, subscribe, rate, review. And as always, Alex, who is running our theme music this week? Uh, ben Lovett. The musician has taken a bit of a break from doing the newest Hellraiser movie that just dropped on Hulu. By the way, it's pretty good. And he's remixing our theme music. So thank you, Ben Lovett. Yeah, I was thinking you'd get Michael Giamocca Cappuccino. We know uh, it's no. Michael Giacchino, but... <laughs> It's just his name is so long and it sounds like a Starbucks drink. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, I tried to get Michael Red Eye blend, but I couldn't. <laughs> Watch Star Trek. <laughs>